At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal, I guess, doesn't talk about hockey anymore, at least the on-ice product, because the Golden Knights have bowed out of the NHL playoffs for the second year in a row, and their season is over. We're going to break all that down on this week's episode. I am Ben Goetz, one of your Review-Journal Golden Knights beat reporters. On the other line is my colleague, David Shane. Dave? How's it going, man? Uh, good. Just got off the golf course. Uh, did not think I would be golfing at this point in the summer. I got to say, I, I'm a little surprised the Golden Knights saw their, their season end the way that it did. I was expecting uh, to go a little bit longer, but, you know, that's the way uh, the hockey puck bounces sometimes. Yeah, Dave's already golfing. I'm already about halfway through a 1,000-piece puzzle. Uh, so that tells you uh, how, you know, Mentally, I guess, ready we were to uh, switch gears here. I was, uh, you know, halfway already thinking about Tampa Bay and the time we were going to have there. Uh, but it was not meant to be because uh, last time we talked, the Golden Knights were down 3-2 to the Montreal Canadiens and heading to a Game 6 at Bell Center. Uh, well, that Game 6 did not go the Golden Knights' way. They lost 3-2 in overtime, and now they're staring ahead at the offseason. So we're going to uh, break down the series in more totality about what went wrong for the Golden Knights, you know, what they can fix moving forward. And then we'll, of course, preview the offseason a little bit, go through some key questions we have for this team as they try to get over the hump and get back to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, before we get to all that, I do want to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning. We are also presented by Blue Wire Podcasts. Also, if you guys could check out all our written work, at reviewjournal.com. That would be great. Uh, Dave and I have had so much stuff for you guys the past couple days, as well as uh, some of our colleagues like columnist Ed Graney. The Knights did uh, exit interviews uh, yesterday as we're recording this on Sunday. So they did those Saturday and we had um, three stories come out of that that you guys should totally read. Uh, and also, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you do podcast, please do this one. It would very much be appreciated. So as I said, the Knights lost in six games to the Montreal Canadiens, uh, despite the fact that they were the largest semifinal favorite since, I believe, 1989, uh, according to one of our betting guys at the RJ Jim Barnes. So that's crazy. Uh, the key stat of the series probably was zero. That's how many points uh, Captain Mark Stone had for the Knights. That's also how many power play goals the team scored in 15 opportunities. Uh, another crazy stat, uh, Sportsnet had this. The Knights got one goal from Stone, Max Pacioretty, William Carlson, Alex Tuck, and Jonathan Marchessault. So five of their, you know, you know, basically key forwards uh, on 60 shots on goal. Those guys had one goal in 60 shots combined. Uh, that one goal came from Pacioretty, who had three points in six games against his former team. Uh, meanwhile, Nick Suzuki, the prospect he was traded for, was tied for the most points among skaters in the series with five. Uh, Dave? Thinking back to a couple weeks ago and how we thought this series was going to set up for the Knights going in, 
How surprised are you that this is the way that their season ultimately came to a close? Probably maybe like an eight out of 10. I mean, pretty surprised. And part of that is because I guess maybe I didn't give uh, Montreal enough credit as far as, you know, a guy like Cole Caulfield and the impact that he was going to make on the series. Uh, just how, I guess, ready Nick Suzuki was and caught Kanyemi. Uh, I didn't expect Phil Dano's line to have the impact uh, that it did defensively on Mark Stone. So credit to Montreal and then obviously Carey Price too. Uh, but I still feel like, especially, you know, you look at it on paper and going into the series, I still feel like the Knights are and were the better team. So yeah, pretty, pretty darn surprised. I don't know about you, but I, I, I mean, I didn't tell many people. I think maybe I slipped on a podcast or something and said, I thought the Knights would win in five. But clearly, I was way off on that. Uh, my preseason prediction, which I don't think I uttered out loud, but definitely did to other people in person, was 100% that the Knights were going to win this in five games. So the fact that they didn't, as you mentioned, is very surprising. And there's a lot of uh, people uh, with the Canadians that deserve credit for you know, I don't want to say uh, playing above their heads because this was not, as we talked about on our last podcast, this was not the case of like Carey Price, even though he was very good and had, I believe, a 933 uh, save percentage in the series. This is not the case of him like stealing, you know, the series that he was basically just like unbeatable throughout these six games. Uh, the Canadians, I believe, at five on five actually had uh, more expected goals than the Knights. They slightly outplayed the Knights at five on five, which is something that we just don't see happen to this team very often. Now the Knights uh, did outscore Montreal at five on five, but uh, Montreal more than made up for this because they were uh, plus three on the power play. And the Knights obviously had a big zero other people uh, to mention that Dave kind of pointed out a uh, rookie Cole Caulfield from Dave's alma mater. Wisconsin was also tied with Suzuki in this series with five points. He had a huge role. Um, Philip Deneau is a excellent defensive center. And he, you know, I don't know if you want to call him the center of Montreal's top line, quote unquote, because it's kind of like Minnesota. It could be considered their top line, but it's not their top offensive line. Uh, Philip Deneau basically spent the majority of the series matched up against Mark Stone at five on five. Uh, in those minutes, it was about 47 out of 91, according to... Uh, at shutdown line on Twitter, uh, Corey, I can't pronounce the last name, but he does a lot of good analytical work. So uh, go check him out once again at uh, shutdown line. Uh, they had zero goals for or against when Deneau was matched up against Mark Stone at five on five, which is just shows you how good Philip Deneau's line is at making nothing happen when he's out there. Um, but on the flip side, like I said, all those things I think worked very well for Montreal, but you know, there's a lot of things that didn't go well for the Knights. We talked about the power play, you know, as impressive as uh, Philip Deneau was when matched up against Mark Stone. Mark Stone was also not matched up against Philip Deneau for 44 minutes at five on five in this series. And ultimately, the Knights, I believe, scored nine goals in their final five games, which kind of feels very similar to uh, last year's story when they bowed out against Dallas. And, you know, we spent kind of, Less than a year ago, because that was only in late September, if I remember correctly. Uh, we spent our off-season preview podcast talking about, like, what are the Golden Knights going to add on offense? Do they need another score? And instead, they went out and added a defenseman. 
a very good one, of course, and Alex Petrangelo and the guy that if they had, you know, managed to kind of make uh, that comeback was probably top of mind for their Con Smythe contender. Um, but this time around, Dave, does bowing out twice in a row in very similar fashion maybe, you know, really show uh, this team's management that they actually are in need of some sort of offensive boost? It feels like it. It feels like it's a certain type of boost, though that they need. And I, I'm, I might date myself a little bit here. It feels like they need somebody like Tomas Holmstrom. Um, and then they also maybe need somebody that just can score in the power play that, that maybe is a power play specialist a little bit. Um, but that can provide a threat. That was one of the biggest things in that series to me that really stood out was the effect that the power play had negatively on them. And, and then you, you think about that series, the playoffs as a whole, and then you think back to last year and the Dallas series. It was four one-goal games that they lost to Dallas. And it was three one-goal games that they lost to the Canadians. They're, they went three and five this postseason in games that were decided by one goal. So it's like they need offense, but they need a certain type of offense. They need a, the type of offense that can produce in these really tight, you know, one goal playoff, you know, type games that I think it was Riley Smith made, made the, or used the phrase that Montreal used a playoff system. Well, they're always going to run into teams that, that play a playoff system, whether it's Minnesota or, you know, even to a little bit of an extent, Colorado and the Knights, had the blueprint and they figured out and they swallowed their pride a little bit, were able to dump the puck in and play heavy and do all those sorts of things. And they, they just didn't seem to get into that game plan or feel as comfortable doing that against the Canadians. I don't know if it's the size of that, that back four uh, for Montreal with Petrie and Weber, Sherratt, Edmondson. I mean, not well, not so much Dominic Ducharme. I guess it was Luke Richards in the last handful of games who, who really worked them into the ground. I mean, they they those four really got the majority of minutes back there, uh, and and did Yeoman's work for Montreal. But they made the games a certain way, and the Knights are always going to see those types of games in the playoffs. You know, as an example, I kind of wrote about it. They talked about it. Tampa Bay figured out how to win those types of games. Now I don't know if it was the additions of somebody like Pat Maroon and Barkley Goodrow and those bottom six kind of grinders that added a little bit of a different element to that team. I don't know if that's what did it for them, but the Knights seem to need a certain, a certain type of player, a certain type of offense that shows up in, in those games in these tight, close one goal playoff games. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they respond. Cause I think, that's one way where they could go where they, you know, try to find that kind of Tampa formula. But I would also point out for uh, Tampa Bay right now, I mean, I talk about kind of Alex Petrangelo, if, you know, the Knights had somehow pulled off the comeback was probably their last man standing in terms of the Conn Smythe race. Uh, something that's also key for Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay's best players are still their best players in the playoffs. I mean, Nikita Kucherov has 27 points in 18 games. Brayden Point has 14 goals in 18 games for the Lightning. Uh, Alex Kalorin and Steven Stamkos both have 17 points. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky is incredible. 
in net. So I think that's like part of it too, where, you know, the Knights, I think, you know, getting a power play specialist is definitely an intriguing conversation, Dave, because, you know, the, like I said, the, the key stat to me is just if the Knights don't get a power play goal and they don't get a point from Mark Stone, they're just not going to win many playoff series and how you go about rectifying that will be interesting and how much you kind of overcorrect to that will be interesting. Cause you know, I think as much as Mark Stone uh, deserves some blame for the series loss, and he definitely took that blame after the game uh, six on Thursday, that was, I'm trying to do the quick mental math in my head there. You're not counting on that potentially happening again. Cause Mark Stone was very good in the playoffs before then. But that's the takeaway, I think, a little bit from Tampa, too, is you just sometimes in the playoffs, you just need your best players to be your best players. And uh, for the Knights, that hasn't happened a lot, which I think will create some interesting offseason discussions for them, at least when it comes to being late in the playoffs. They've had some very good performances earlier in the playoffs for some of their key guys. But in these last two you know, semifinals, those guys have all kind of gone away. Yeah, and I mean, I think, to be quite honest, we have to look at it and fairly criticize and, and maybe, you know, view this team with a little bit of a different lens in terms of, yes, they won, you know, 40 games and they were the only team to do that. And yes, they tied Colorado for the most points in the regular season. But, you know, maybe they're just not quite there yet. I mean, you kind of talk about Tampa and, you know, maybe if the Knights were able to, you know, come back in that series against Montreal and, and face Tampa, I felt like they matched up well against them. I felt like the style of play would have suited them better than had they faced the Islanders or Long Island as Robin Leonard likes to refer to them. Uh, but you kind of go down the, you know, the, the lines you, you look at it, you know, player by player and yeah, the Knights maybe don't stack up right now with a team, you know, like Tampa Bay. Now, not many teams do. I mean, we're talking about a you know an organization that's made three Stanley Cup finals since 2015, and you know they've had some heartbreak in there. But you know to make three Stanley Cup finals in, I guess it's six years, seven seasons, uh, that's pretty impressive, and that takes a lot of talent. It takes a, some good scouting. It takes hitting on some guys in the draft. You know, a guy like Vasilevsky that they took, you know, in the 20s in the first round, and he you know, turns out to be everything that they thought he would be a guy like Braden point that they took in the third round and fixes his skating. And all of a sudden they've got a frontline superstar, you know, I, I mean, they've, they've obviously got guys like Hedman, you know, Stamkos, Kucherov, I think was a second round pick. It, it's just, you know, their high end talent, like you said, is performing in the playoffs and you know, it's high end talent and you look at the Knights and as good as they are, you know, even Pete DeBoer sort of said this other than maybe Mark Stone, you know, they don't have a guy who's going to go out and, and, you know, score two points a night or average two points a night, you know, in the playoffs or in the regular season. Now we can make, I guess, or have a, a discussion have a, the, the debate about whether you need that, whether that's what's missing to get this team over the hump, or, you know, maybe it's just allocating money in a different way and, and trying to, uh, you know, stretch your depth a little bit. One of the things I thought was very apparent in that series against Montreal was the fourth line got badly outplayed by Montreal's fourth line. Corey Perry, Yoel Armia, and Eric Stahl were extremely effective in that series. 
And the, the Canadians were able to roll through those four lines because if you're going to count them as a fourth line, they were doing a lot of damage. And, and I think Calvin McCrimmon and George McPhee need to go into this offseason, and that's one of the things that they need to look at. How can the Golden Knights become more effective you know, on the fourth line? I think all of those guys will carry Ryan Reeves. Uh, I'm not going to count Nosek in there because he was you know, a lot on the third line, but, but those two wingers especially, I thought, took a step back this year. And that's something that going into decision-making time that the Knights can look at and maybe, you know, even upgrade a little bit. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, season two, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Eric Stahl, former 40-goal scorer, kind of at the end of the, his career, but now on the Canadiens' fourth line, Corey Perry, former MVP winner who the Knights are already familiar with because he was on the Dallas Stars team that eliminated them last postseason. It was, yeah, a different setup for a fourth line, but it's been very effective for the Canadians so far. Um, but we brought up Tampa, of course, who are the reigning champions and have a shot to defend their title and basically be the second team to go back-to-back in the salary cap era, uh, except for the Marc-Andre Fleury's Pittsburgh Penguins uh, the year before he came to the Golden Knights. Let's talk about how the Knights can get there. The season is over. They've done their exit interviews. So let's you know project forward a little bit as to what the summer might bring for them. Um, there's some key storylines that we'll be hitting all throughout the summer, but we got to at least touch on all of them right now. Uh, so, Dave, you mentioned, you know, how the Knights can maybe stretch their budget a little bit or move some money around to potentially get better depth. I mean, the big question is going to be the goalie tandem, tandem because last year we were wondering aloud whether they were going to actually keep Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard on the roster because the two of them combined for a $12 million salary cap hit. Uh, that is the second highest among uh, NHL teams in terms of money allocated to goaltending, ironically. Montreal is the only team higher, but the Canadians are higher because Carey Price makes $10.5 million a year, so he takes up the large chunk of that. It's very rare for an NHL team to have two goaltenders this good and paid this well uh, on a roster at the same time. Obviously, uh, on the ice, the tandem had a lot of benefits. They won the Jennings Trophy for allowing the fewest goals in the regular season. And they traded off even a little bit in the postseason where um, Leonard at the time, it looked like, might have saved their season in game four against the Canadians. He got back in the crease for game six and, you know, gave up the uh, game winning goal and the loss, though it wasn't necessarily his fault because it was an odd man rush. Uh, So the key question, Dave, I mean, do you think uh, this tandem is locked in or are the Knights going to potentially explore other options of uh, this offseason. Well, if I'm going to read into what Pete DeBoer said, and 
Obviously, he was very complimentary of the tandem under the circumstances that they played this season with the 56 games, with, you know, the condensed schedule, uh, with the different travel, all that sort of stuff. And he, he was pretty, uh, I guess, emphatic, maybe uh, is the right word in terms of they are not going to be under those circumstances next year, or at least as of right now, they're not projecting that. And that's not, that's not what's expected for the 21, 22 season, you know, in the NHL, it's expected to go back to essentially normal in an 82 game regular season. They might, you know, adjust some of the schedule with the travel. Uh, certainly the NHL PA uh, poll that came out, the, the, there were a lot of players that were in favor of kind of the series style uh, of scheduling where you're playing, you know, a couple games against the same team, then you're moving on almost, you know, like that baseball sort of feel. So we might see that, but other than that, uh, you know, they, they made it very clear that next year is going to be a different situation than this year. Now, whether that means that they might have both goaltenders, you know, I guess they're, they're playing their cards close to the vest and, you know, Kelly McCrimmon, put up a pretty good poker face on that as far as, you know, Hey, maybe that is something that they want to do, but my gut and just from the way that the players were reacting and talking after the season, I don't expect that tandem to continue. What's interesting to me and what I'm eager to see is if that in fact is, you know, if they are split is which way it goes because Bill Foley has come out publicly and said he doesn't want Marc-Andre Fleury traded. Marc-Andre Fleury has come out publicly and said he wants to finish his career in Vegas. So if Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee are going to trade Marc-Andre Fleury and his $7 million salary cap hit coming off potentially a Vesna trophy on Tuesday, um, you know, I, I... I could see it happening. I don't know who, but you know, if they're going to make moves, that's the obvious place to look and to clear space and to be able to maneuver and get some flexibility. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Cause you, you said um, it's not like necessarily like one is good. One is bad. We need to get rid of one. They were both uh, very good this year. Marc-Andre Fleury was obviously uh, the goaltender who put together a better season because as you said, Dave, he's a Vesna Trophy finalist. He'll find out Tuesday uh, if he wins. He was, you know, moved up to third on the all-times wins list. Um, just incredible year. But, I mean, Leonard's obviously been very good, too, since he's come to the Golden Knights. He was their primary starter last postseason and did very well. Uh, he has not actually lost that many games since coming over to the Golden Knights, which, you know, has only been basically a condensed regular season and then three starts um, before or after the trade deadline last year, in addition to the playoffs, but in the regular season with the golden Knights, he is 16, four and two, which is crazy. Um, he has been very successful and he of course is signed for four additional years at a $5 million cap hit. He got an extension from the Knights last off season when it really seemed like they were going to move Mark Andre Fleury. Now, whether, uh, they decide that they that is still the plan or whether Fleury's uh, incredible season this year changed their minds. We will have to see. But that's going to be 
one of the key decision points this offseason for the Golden Knights. Uh, the other one will be what is going to happen with defenseman Alec Martinez. Now, one of the biggest pieces of news we got Saturday in kind of our exit interviews with the players was the fact that Martinez just casually dropped that he was playing on a broken foot all postseason. Um, if people, you know, that follow our Twitter feeds and what we write, you know, probably are aware of Martinez missed the last two games of the regular season. And then he didn't participate in any sort of, you know, off day practice golden Knights morning skate until I think, you know, right before uh, the third round, if I remember correctly, like he just was not skating with the team at all, unless it was game time. And now we know why. And that's a pretty good reason to stay off your feet. Uh, despite the fact that he had a broken foot, he still leads the NHL playoffs in block shots by 20, uh, which tells you, you know, kind of how tough a customer Alec Martinez is. Now, he is a UFA after coming over uh, a little bit before Leonard at the 2020 trade deadline. He's been a very effective player since uh, joining the Knights. He was making $4 million on his last deal. He probably has... Uh, earned a raise with how he has played. Uh, he's been effective on offense. As I mentioned, he blocks shots like crazy. Uh, he's a two-time Stanley Cup winner who's good in the locker room. Uh, you know, the Knights are looking at, by my kind of back of the napkin math, about having right now like $5.26 you know, million in cap space uh, this offseason without, of course, moving one of those goalies. Is that going to be enough to get Alec Martinez back in the fold, Dave? I don't think so. No, I mean, I think he's going to make. I think he's going to make more than that in in his next contract. And then here's the other thing too: you got to figure. I mean, they don't cost much, but you know, are they going to bring back Ian Mark? Probably not. He seemed pretty clear and self aware that he was brought in as a rental, um, and you know, maybe things work out, maybe they don't, but. I don't think he, I didn't get the feeling that he's expecting to be back. You've got Tomas Nosek who made, you know, a little more than a million this year. So he would probably get a little bit of a bump if you want to bring him back. Like these little things, like they add up. And if you're trying to squeeze somebody like Martinez in there, who's probably, you know, uh, you know, maybe he takes a little less here because of the tax situation or something like that. But you look at comparable contracts I mean, he's at least probably in that $6 million range, if not a little bit more. And then this is the other thing, too, because he's going to turn 34 is the term and how long, you know, are are the Knights willing to offer on a contract versus somebody else? You know, at this point, there's, I'm sure, some security. And if he were to get a three-year deal, if he were to get even longer, like a four-year deal or something like that, that for him would be extremely difficult to turn down. And I think with the Knights and, and looking at, you know, some other holes that they have, looking at maybe some younger players that are in their system uh, that might be ready and that they just might need, you know, to, to plug in there in terms of salary cap relief. They might just need some entry-level contracts and some guys, you know, who are making a little less in there to, to make it all work in, in other areas. So it's going to be tough. You never say never. It might be something where if other things don't work out and there's money that they didn't think they would have, they can circle back on them. But at this point, and judging from, again, some of his body language, some of the things he said, and some of the things his teammates said, 
at this point, I don't expect him to be back, no. Yeah, we'll have to see uh, the salary cap figure I mentioned the night as being 5.26 uh, or 5.26 million approximately under the limit right now is with them having uh, 11 forwards, six defensemen, and those two goalies under contract. So at the very least, you have to figure, you know, one entry-level contract at forward uh, potentially for the Knights to plug in there. So, you know, even that is probably a little bit higher than it appears. Uh, the last question, you know, I have as we set up this offseason really quickly is just, you know, what surprise splash is going to come from the Knights? Because even though they've come very close to the Stanley Cup, uh, the past two years, and were even favored to make it to the final the last two years once they got to the semis. They've never been afraid to shake things up and think big. I mean, after making the final in year one, they traded for Max Pacioretty. After making the semis last year, as we've already talked about, they went out and signed Petrangelo to a seven-year big money deal. And this offseason, there are going to be a lot of kind of notable names out there. Uh, Taylor Hall is a UFA Jack Eichel is, of course, uh, swimming in trade rumors right now. Uh, pa- Patrick Laine is an RFA for a Columbus team that seems to just bleed good players and give them away to other organizations. Uh, do you think that there's a chance that the Knights are going to take a serious run at uh, someone who, you know, I guess we would consider, you know, a quote-unquote notable name, Dave, some sort of kind of bigger ticket acquisition that they find a way to squeeze in under the cap? Or is this going to be the rare year where they actually just kind of look to run things back and tweak on the margins? I feel like it's more of the former. Uh, just kind of a gut feeling that after getting close the last couple of years and seeing you know, what this core can do, that maybe there's, there's a sense that it's maxed out a little bit, that they need to inject you know, some more skill, some more talent, uh, an, an elite you know, goal scorer or playmaker up front, just something. Like you said, they've never sat still. I mean, they, they've always gone after the biggest fish in the pond, you know, whether it's trade or free agency. Uh, I mean, like you said, Pacioretty, Stone, Petrangeli, you know, I mean, they've never held back. And obviously Bill Foley is going to be willing to pay, you know, all the way to the salary cap and beyond. He wants a Stanley Cup. And I don't think he's, you know, ever hidden that desire uh, for it to come now. So I don't, I don't think that they're going to rest on their laurels. I don't know that any of those three names um, are going to be the guys that end up here. Liney to me is the most interesting one only in the sense of if you can get him on the cheap and you can get him fixed, what he would do for your power play I think, you know, I think that would be an immediate impact. I think he's the type of guy that that could turn that around. Eichel to some extent, too. I think in that series, their lack of depth got exposed when Chandler Stevenson went out for a few games and they were, you know, duct tape and bubblegum trying to, to get that first line going. Alex Tuck, you know, tried, but he's just not a center. And they didn't have anybody else that they could put into that top six. You know, we heard that Peyton Krebs was healthy, available, and cleared. Uh, obviously, that was a a choice that Pete DeBoer made to not go with him. And then same with Cody Glass. Uh, and then obviously had some eye-opening things to say about the younger players, not mentioning them by name, but 
seeming to, uh, I'll use the word you used to subtweet uh, Cody Glass a little bit in terms of, you know, hey, he needs to get going and, and win a job here and show, you know, that, that he can earn it. Uh, so there's some holes for them to fill. There's one name that I think that's interesting from Buffalo that maybe hasn't been attached to the Knights. I think the, the Eichel name is the obvious one, but Sam Reinhardt, I think, is, is somebody to watch as well. I think what he would bring down the middle, it may be a little more affordable price uh, coming out of Buffalo, might be doable. Uh, and I think there's going to be some other names too. But yeah, I, I do think there's going to be changes and I, I would I would expect that there's going to be you know, a, a bigger name or two that comes in to try to shake things up. Yeah. Uh, Sam Reinhardt, uh, you know, right shot uh, has typically been a wing, but he played some center this year for Buffalo had 25 goals. Uh, another notable name to keep an eye on because the Sabres certainly feel like they're going to clean house as best they can this off season. Uh, it's going to be interesting and fascinating to see what happens in the NHL and what happens specifically to the Knights, because as we've addressed already here, they really are never boring in the offseason. So we'll see what this summer will bring. We will try to keep hitting you guys up with weekly episodes. We will try to have some special guests this summer. Uh, but this is probably going to be our one show for this week. So before we get out of here, I just want to thank everyone who's uh, listened, download, subscribe, whatever, uh, to uh, this podcast this year. We really appreciate you guys. We appreciate everyone who reads our stuff too at reviewjournal.com or picks up, you know, a print paper. If you're one of those people that do that, we really thank you because uh, we have a lot of uh, designers and stuff that work very hard to make our stuff look good in print, which can be very difficult sometimes. But I uh, just wanted to let you know that if you are listening to this, you are very, very much uh, appreciated. Uh, before we get out of here, I just want to remind everyone that we are sponsored by one hour heating and air conditioning we are presented by blue wire uh, we will talk to you guys more later on in this off season for ben goats he's dave shane we're the golden edge podcast we'll talk to you guys again real soon One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, Season 2, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.